You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. I've talked the Holy Spirit's real and all that. They have heard the first generation tell tales of battle, fire, sword, persecution, pioneering, and of the high price paid for these truths. The children of the first generation hear all these things. They've been brought up in them, drilled in them, and urged to accept them for themselves. And they do so, but guess what? Not with the same fire and zeal of the first generation. But they believe them, but it's not the same conviction. Oftentimes, we get so caught up in doing the right things that we forget what it really means to be set free. In our quest for bettering ourselves, we hyper-focus on works and forget why we're even doing it. Today, Pastor Jeff reminds us that Jesus came to sacrifice himself in our place so that we could be set free. We no longer have to be stuck in our old ways or follow any rules to get where we want to go. Instead, follow Jesus, break free from the burdens that are holding you back, and accept his promise. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians chapter 5 as he continues his message, The Law of Liberty. If you go to any of those cults or anything that requires performance on your part, you're going to soon discover a broken relationship with the Lord and a radical drying up of your spiritual vitality because now you're not leaning on him anymore. Your fellowship with the Holy Spirit will be quenched. So Paul warns the Galatians and warns you and me, stand firm in the liberty wherewith Jesus made you free. And don't let anybody talk you into anything that's going to entangle you again in a yoke of bondage. As Paul wrote to Timothy, I love this. Paul told Timothy, quote, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, Timothy, for you know you can trust those who taught you. He was raised by his grandmother and mother. They raised him up in the faith. That's the those he's talking about who taught him. And then in verse 15, what did they teach him? You have been taught, Timothy, the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus looked at the Pharisees and Sadducees and said, you say when you search the scriptures, you find God, but you search the scriptures and you will see they speak of me from Genesis all the way through the end of Malachi. When Jesus said that, there was no New Testament yet, but they had Genesis to Malachi. He said, you search them and you will see that all of those scriptures, all of those books point to me. So Timothy was taught those books and Jesus in those books was revealed to Timothy. And they prepped him and prepared him to hear the gospel. And when he heard it, he connected all the dots and said, oh, that's the one. Moses and Abraham and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and the minor prophets and David and the Psalms. That's the one they were all pointing to and waiting for and anticipating and expecting. And so that he got saved. Paul said, remember that, son. Don't ever forget that. I want to say to you, church, remember what you've been taught. You've been in this church for a month. You have been taught that there is one way 
to God. That is his son, Jesus Christ. There is no other way, no other religion, no other person that can lead you to forgiveness. There is no other way to miss hell and gain heaven than Jesus Christ. So remember that. And that you have learned the holy scriptures and they lead us to trust Christ. Now for, he says in verse five, Galatians five, verse five, for we through the spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by him. Now the law was deceptive as it seemed to offer some kind of an immediate return for the sinner's investment. Or in other words, you go do a good thing. Let's say you go, you know, feed the, the homeless one day. And if you're living on performance and not grace, as soon as you feed those homeless, something in you says, you're such a good person. Go look in the mirror and sing a song to yourself. <laughs> Just go ahead and sing, there is none like you. No one else can do the things you do. I know I can't sing. Edit this off the radio show. <clears throat> but as soon as you do something good, we tend to believe that that, that was an investment that gained me righteousness. But God comes along and says, all of your good works are to me like filthy rags. They do not gain you righteousness. Now, when you do good works after you're saved, they bring you reward in the world to come and they attest to the fact that you have been saved. There is a huge place for good works, but they don't save you. They attest to the fact that you are saved, but they don't save you. Only one saves you, the blood of Christ. Jesus hanging on that cross, that's it. So I must have moved something around when I did all that. There we go. It produced a false pride that somebody was righteous when in fact he was not in God's eyes. You can easily pump yourself up with false pride and think you're something and that you gained yourself righteousness. You didn't, you never do. But for those who cleave to Jesus Christ for righteousness, his righteousness, there is real hope. There is hope indeed. Our righteousness is by faith. It is his righteousness imputed unto us. And that's the whole message of Galatians. That's the whole message of Paul to these people who were departing from this and going back to the law. It doesn't depend on us. It doesn't rest on us. It didn't require of us anything but faith in his finished work in order to be saved. That's why it's good news. That's why it's good news. How many of you are glad that the message was not this? Hey, good to have you here in church today. I got a message for you. If you will this and this and this and this and do it for three months, you'll be saved. How many of you would jump up and say, all right. But when you tell somebody, all you got to do is look up and say, forgive me, and you're saved. That's good news. Amen. Now, when Paul says we wait for it, he means we look forward to it. It points to the second coming of Christ when we're gonna be just like Jesus. John wrote, dear friends, we're already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be when Christ appears. We do know this, that we will be just like him because we're gonna see him as he really is. One unfiltered look at Jesus and you're gonna be changed to be just like him. Just like him. 
Next, he touches on works. Do we who are content to rest on or rest all on Christ have no works to perform? Not to be saved. The Christian has works, but they don't save him, as we just said. They attest to the reality of his salvation, but they don't save. Paul says in verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, here's the fact, not circumcision nor uncircumcision, both of those symbolizing the law and our own good works, avail anything. They don't do anything. But faith, working through love, does. The works that follow genuine salvation are works of faith that flow from love, not from legalistic jump through the hoop so you can be saved demands. Religion says you must. Faith says I love so I want to. Isn't that good? Religion says you must, you better, you have to, you can't be saved. But faith says because I know him and he's living in me, I love and because I have love, I want to do these things for people. I don't get up here and preach because I have to. I love doing it. It's my gravy. It's Monday through Friday that's a challenge. The works of the Christian are to flow out of love, not out of force or coercion. Having discussed the foundation of their liberty, faith in Christ, that's the foundation. Say it with me, faith in Christ. Paul next discusses the foes of their liberty, the false teachers. Now he's going to home in on the ones that are messing them up. He says to the Galatians, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Anybody know anybody that you could quote that verse to? I do. Of course, they're not here because they're not in church. But if I ran into them on the street, I could easily say, hey, You were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? What's happened to you? Who got to you? Who sabotaged you? What are you doing? Walking away from what you knew. You started out so well, what happened? How have you so quickly fizzled and fallen? Paul could remember the dynamic days he had spent among them and how eagerly they'd embraced the gospel. They were off and running when he had left them, but someone had raised a roadblock in their path. Now he says, who hindered you? The word for hindered is taken from a Greek word. The Greek word is enkopto, enkopto. And enkopto was used of tearing up a road or putting an obstacle in the path. Enkopto. Paul is saying, who broke up the road? You were making such good progress. Who put all those potholes in it? There are good roads and there are roads full of potholes. The potholes immediately slow down your progress, don't they? If it's 40 mile an hour, but you hit a road that's full of potholes, you don't go 40. You go 20 because you don't want to ruin your shocks and, or get a flat tire. That's the idea. That's what he's saying. Who, you were going 40, you were running, you were going unhindered, and somebody put potholes in the road. Somebody broke up the road. Somebody messed up. The righteous road that leads to life. What happened? Who did this? False teachers and their damnable teachings ruin the road of faith. Placing potholes in your path and slowing your progress, if not stopping it altogether. As a pastor, I've done this for 30 years. And I have seen false teaching firsthand with my eyes. 
get into a person's life and absolutely ruin their walk with God, destroy their family, destroy their marriages, sabotage and shipwreck their faith, fill them with anger and bitterness and resentment. I've seen what false teaching can do. I've seen a person running a beautiful ray, beautiful people in the Lord, just there every time the door is open. But then a false teacher gets in. They're charismatic, they're appealing, they're convincing, they're persuasive. And they'll say 95% of what is right and 5% what is wrong. And the 5% is the strychnine. And it gets in and it leavens the whole lump. Paul says, who did this to you? Who, who sowed this into your life? He was angry. The beautiful road of grace had been obstructed and he wanted the perpetrators brought to light. Of course, we know ultimately who does it every time, don't we? It's an invisible person, ultimately. The thief, Satan, who comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's a master of false teaching of mixing truth with lie. Has God said, Eve, are you sure? Didn't he really say this? He's a master of distortion and skewing of the truth. And he's alive and well and working on everyone in this room if you don't know the word of God. Matter of fact, I've come to the conclusion, if you don't know the word of God really well, you are going to be deceived. That's why weekend after next, I'm gonna start a four-part series I'm calling Be Not Deceived. Be not deceived on the weekends. And it's going to be good stuff because so many people are being deceived. In his parable on the wheat and the tares, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, his enemy, everybody say enemy. enemy. Look what the enemy did. Came and planted weeds. There's the false teaching among the wheat. And then he slipped away into the shadows. And lo and behold, when the crop began to grow and produce grain, Weeds grew up right next to the good stuff. And the farmer's workers went to him and said, sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where'd that come from? And he said this, very important, an enemy has done this. An enemy, an invisible enemy, the devil. And so it is when our walk with God is obstructed and our road of grace is filled with potholes, slowing down our progress, Though human beings were involved, ultimately an unseen enemy has done this. And we need to be smart about this church. Every time you turn on that TV, you got the enemy talking to you nine times out of 10. Every time you open up a paper, the enemy's all in those pages. You read a secular book. Uh, the enemy is, listen, if you don't keep your nose buried in that Bible, then you are a candidate for deception. Paul could see the leaven of this false teaching already reaching down to the second and third generation of Christians in the Galatian community. And this is the trouble with false doctrine. Now I'm going to show you something. This is very important. And what I'm about to show you is, is near to my heart because I'm watching it happen. And it's why I'm believing God for revival. Let's look. This is why God has always raised up prophets and preachers to denounce sin in the clearest way possible. If not exposed and denounced, it spreads. Throughout scripture, leaven is used as a symbol of corruption. We're talking about leaven, 
symbol of corruption. It spreads secretly and unseen until it permeates everything. It usually symbolizes false doctrine at work within the corporate body of the people of God. There are several leavens knocking on the door of the church as we speak, demanding that we receive it into ourselves, accept it. And if we do, it will permeate the whole group and we will be corrupted. Leaven was sourdough. That's what it was. It was introduced into the dough of a new loaf, which was then left to stand in a warm spot until the fermenting, spreading influence of the old had thoroughly taken hold of all parts of the new. The only way to stop the action of the leaven, once it had been introduced into the new loaf, was to put the loaf into the oven. The action of the fire stopped the action of the leaven. You know what you're hearing right now? The word of God, that's the oven, that's the fire. It purges leaven out. Now here's a fact. There is not a major denomination in Christendom that has not eventually been taken over by the leaven of liberalism, legalism, fanaticism, formalism, ritualism, or some other corrupting ism. Not one. By its third generation, every new movement. How many of you have ever been in a move of, in a move of God? You were in a move of God where the Holy Spirit was moving and people were getting saved and you got filled with the Holy Spirit and had experiences with God. How many of you had that? Let me see. All right, watch. By the third generation, every new great move of the Holy Spirit, born of revival by the Spirit of God, needs a fresh moving of the Holy Spirit if it's going to survive. Here's how it works. With the first generation, freshly discovered truth is a conviction. Can you say conviction with me? That means I believe it and I really believe it and I believe it deep down in my innermost, innermost. I know it's true. I'm convicted. I'm convinced. Those who see it and embrace it, propagate it with zeal. They would die for that truth. For us, it was the reality in mine and Kathy's life of the Holy Spirit and his power and that the gifts were still real and that God moved in power and that you could be filled to the point where you felt like you were gonna pop and God was active in your life and he answered prayer and he was right there. This was a truth. We were baptized into it. And everybody around us was. So we saw it, we embraced it and we propagated it with zeal. We would have died for it. The Bible says they will give up everything for it. The proverb says, buy the truth and sell it not. That's the motto of the first generation that experiences a move of God. By the time the second generation takes over, what was once a conviction has become a belief. The second generation has been taught these truths. Oh yeah, they've heard it. Oh yeah, yeah, I was taught that. I've taught the Holy Spirit's real and all that. They have heard the first generation tell tales of battle, fire, sword, persecution, pioneering, and of the high price paid for these truths. The children of the first generation hear all these things. They've been brought up in them, drilled in them, and urged to accept them for themselves. And they do so, but guess what? Not with the same fire and zeal of the first generation. But they believe them, but it's not the same conviction. 
They can give you chapter and verse for their beliefs, but the zeal to spread it has cooled. You know, me and Kathy in our generation, we witnessed everything that moved. We'd stop you on the street, get in your face, tell anybody Jesus is alive. Now you got to kick people out there. And even then, they're not zealous about it. Some people, some are, thank God. I heard somebody say, Lord, deliver us from the cage stage. No, stay in the cage stage. The cage stage being wild, crazy, turned on, on fire for Jesus. Give me a bunch of people in the cage stage. Don't shout me down now, church. (laughs) By the time the third generation is in charge, what was first a conviction and then a belief has become an opinion. The truths are lightly held. Compromise is acceptable. Things are watered down. Distinctives disappear. And an accommodation is reached with dissenters and other groups who hold some things in common. Well, we got this in common and they've got that. So why don't we just all get along what I was talking about earlier? Do you see America in this right here? Come on, church. Oh, let's compromise with everything under the sun. Let's be pluralistic. Let's lose our distinctives. We don't have any right to be distinctive. We're no better than anybody else. So we we accommodate, we compromise, we flex, we evolve. All the things I said you shouldn't do with truth. First, the sharp edges become blurred. Then new ideas are introduced. Things that would have made the first generation roll over in their grave, the third generation tolerates with a smile. Oh, come on, all of you right-wing, stiff-necked, ignorant, hayseed, southern church folk. Get out of the way or agree with us. Compromise with us. We need to all get along. And the minute that a church does that, it's dead. It's dead. The lampstand will be removed by the Holy Ghost and it's dead. The power has gone, the drive has gone, the zeal has gone. The only solution is revival. The only thing left for America church is revival. There is no other answer, revival. It's not gonna come from Republicans. It's not gonna come from Democrats. It's not gonna come from Libertarians. It's not gonna come from any political group. The change that must happen to America must come not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God. It must be a Holy Ghost, God-sent, devil-stomping, God-glorifying revival. A great awakening. Or folks, it's over. It's usually an Ishmael uh, when you, the only, uh, when revival does not come, people drift away or some kind of phony counterfeit revival is accepted. It's usually an Ishmael born of fleshly effort rather than a genuine move of the Holy Spirit. This is exactly where the American church is today. Believe me when I tell you that. This is why the second and third generation of the children of believers are leaving the church. This is why our nation has almost totally apostatized from the Christian faith. We are surrounded by a generation that has never experienced God firsthand. 
We need revival. When we follow Jesus, do we truly give our all to Him? As Christians, oftentimes we find ourselves asking for the wrong things. We think that our prayers are going unanswered, but really, we're not letting Jesus take control. In today's message, Pastor Jeff explained that when you deny yourself before the Lord, you need to accept that you're broken. Humble yourself, accept your brokenness, and then let Jesus work through you. You've been listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Would you be interested in helping support this ministry as we further the gospel? All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. We're so grateful for your continued support in listening to this program and also investing in the ministry. Once again, text GIVE to 817-484-4767 to GIVE. Here's Daniel one more time with a sneak peek about the next edition. An unfortunate thing that finds its way into Christianity is a system of hierarchy. Whether we consider ourselves a more experienced Christian or don't want to be seen with other denominations, too often the church body is divided. In his next message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that God doesn't view anyone higher than anyone else. The Bible tells us that we're all equals. God wants the same outcome for all of us, to be with Him. That's all we have for today's edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you can download it from our website, hardwired.org. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jeff continues teaching through the book of Galatians next time on Hardwired.